Good morning. Glad to be here with you all today. Um, super thankful uh, for last week's praise and worship. We uh, kind of diverted a little bit from our, our series that we've been in in 1 Corinthians 13, but we're back in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, super thankful for uh, Pat filling in for me a couple weeks ago uh, while I was at Equip. And I really appreciated uh, what he had to say about just the individualization, basically, of challenging you to sit with these things and allow the Spirit to challenge you in a way that you might not be ready for, okay? And those are the best times to be challenged by the Spirit in the ways that you are not necessarily ready for. So I hope that you're able to sit and really meditate on these things. What is this aspect, these different aspects of love that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13? And where could you grow and where can you see the Spirit work in your life? I hope that you were challenged by that. I know I was when I was listening to it uh, when I was driving uh, this past week uh, to North Carolina and back. Uh, but I was super thankful for that. But today we're going to continue on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. But before we get there, have you ever played Truth or Dare? So I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and play a quick... No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't play Truth or Dare in church. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a game that you've probably played at some point in your life. I know as kids, we used to sit around and play truth or dare like all the time. And I wish I could give you a specific memory, but the, the truth or dare game was so mundane in my friend circle that there was nothing of note that ever happened, right? It was always like, do you like so-and-so? Truth or dare? Was, yes, I like her. Oh, no. Like there's, there was no stakes to it, right? And the dares were even less exciting. It was like, go outside and scream really loud. We were so boring, I guess. Um, you know, it was like, go ding-dong ditch the neighbor that we all know is not home right now. Uh, that was our dares we used to do. But there was something about that game was the thought of this secret being told, right? That you're going to get down to the truth of something that's really going to break the world. You're going to do this dare that's going to be so daring and so dangerous that everyone's going to be just in shock and awe of the thing that you accomplished. But really, it was never really that big of a deal. Maybe you have better truth or dare stories, dare stories than I do. Uh, but there's this thing where it's like there's this kind of almost when you're playing the game, you're thinking, oh, I hope they don't ask this question because then I have to tell the truth. Right? We have this veiled idea that when you're playing this game, you have to tell the absolute truth. But guess what? You don't. You can lie in truth or dare, um, but this, this veil of there's something special about this game where you have to tell the truth. And I got to thinking about truth as an idea, and we're kind of obsessed with truth, right? We watch these movies, well, these like spy movies or, or superhero movies where you get the good guy or the bad guy, and they, they get them in this one situation where they need this information, and where do they give them? The truth serum, right? And the truth serum is going to give them all the information they could possibly need for the situation, right? They have no inhibitions. They have to tell the truth, right? And there's even that one movie, A Few Good Men, that I've never seen before, but even as a kid, I know the line, right? You can't handle the truth, right? Right? We, we, there's so many different movies and so many different situations, books that we could go through where truth is super important, where people are trying to get to the truth, trying to figure out what this information is. And, and I've, I've looked at, at a, a life and the ways that we look at movies and the way that we interact with each other, the way we play truth or dare as kids. There is an obsession with truth. Getting to the bottom of something, getting to the actual foundation, what is truth? And I think there is an obsession there. I think that's a human nature thing. 
And as I've been reading through and as I've been thinking through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this idea of truth pops up again. I'm going to read these verses. These are our verses for today. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here. This is what it says. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And it's interesting, uh, last week, it was kind of easier to visualize in a way, right? Like, Pat was talking about these, these verses right here. It's easy to visualize is patient, right? We understand what patience is. Love is kind. We understand kindness and so forth. But when I was reading this, when I was preparing, this looked a little bit different for me. It was hard for me to actually visualize what this actually looks like, right? This first verse in verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It's hard to visualize. uh, Like This idea of love rejoicing in truth seems different than this whole idea of love is patient, love is kind. Does this mean that love just rejoices whenever I tell the truth? This is how I kind of process things, right? Is, is Is it saying that love rejoices every single time I tell the truth? Because if that's the case, then I'm going to let love rejoice a lot. I'm going to start telling truth to everything that I see. That becomes a problem very quickly. You've heard about these truth bombs before, right? During COVID, it was really popular for people to get on their phone and just say mean things that they thought were true about different people. And they called them truth bombs. Yeah, not really what this is talking about. I can't get around saying, well, hey, you have terrible kids. Hey, you look ugly today. Hey, I don't like the way that you talk. Hey, I think you're annoying, right? Those are all truth, right? I might be telling the truth to you in that moment, Is love rejoicing when I say things like that? Obviously not, right? They're truth bombs from my perspective. That is my idea of truth. And it's funny that we're talking about this today in our young adults class. We were talking about this idea of absolute truth, and it's going to transition very nicely to what we're talking about today. Because when we talk about what we believe is truth, you're ugly, your kids are annoying, that's my perspective of what the truth is. But that's not everybody's perspective, and it's definitely not truth, right? It's my opinion. So it doesn't mean that love does not delight every single time that I tell the truth. Well, does it mean that maybe I should tell the truth with a little bit more tact? Your kids have big personalities, right? Like, (laughs) maybe that outfit is for somebody else. I I don't know. There's, it's not quite that either, right? But, but I really want to get back to this. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It has to be away from me just telling these truth bombs that are my opinion. It has to be away from just this tactful way of just telling the truth in the world. There's something much bigger, I think, at stake. There, I think Paul, for, for whatever reason, is stepping aside to these individualized things. Love is patient. Love is kind. And he's stepping back, and he's, and he's saying a truth here that, Love does not delight in evil, and there's a whole lot of evil in this world. The world is a dark, dark place. Because we can read this, and we can get to this place, and love does not delight in evil, but rejoice in the truth. And we're like, yes! And if you're a Bible student, you're saying, guess what, Jimmy? I already know what you're going to say. Jesus is love. Jesus is truth. And we can celebrate and say, all right, love delights in Jesus. And we can go to our friends, and we can have conversations about the gospel, we can share Jesus, and we can be delighting in the fact that we're sharing the truth, right? Jesus with everybody. That's a very, very important thing. Yes, we get to take it out into the world. Whoa, sorry. 
and then we and then we seek all these things. We're, we're sharing the gospel. We're sharing the truth, and we're doing all these things. We look back at First Corinthians uh, thirteen verses four. I'm going to try to be more patient. I'm going to try to be more kind. I'm going to try not to envy or boast or be proud. All these different things, but this other part is kind of sticking with me for whatever reason, right? We can do all these things. We can share the truth of Jesus. We can share the gospel like we should be. But I think this part in here is, 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 is sticking with me, and I think it's very important. Love does not delight in evil. We can't forget evil, right? There, the, you, we cannot forget that the world is a dark place because we can go around to different people, and we can be patient, we can be kind, and we, share, we can share the truth of Jesus. But if we neglect the fact that evil is I think we're missing a very big aspect as to how the world sees us and sees the world around them. Because when we read these things, I'm reading these things, and if we do all these things, we become a very pleasant person, right? Who doesn't want to be more patient? Who doesn't want to be around kind people? Who doesn't want to be around people who do not envy or boast and all the things that Paul lists out? In fact, your life would get a whole lot better if you did all these things, right? We can all nod our head in agreement with that. But somehow, I still think we're missing out on the power of evil in the midst of all these things, right? Because we can do all these things, and guess what? The world is going to like you, for the most part, if you're patient and kind and all these different things. The world is going to really accept you, but the power of evil is still among us. It's easy to lose sight of absolute truth. Among us, we can do all these other things, but we can still fall short because most people like things uh, like the things that we read about in First Corinthians thirteen. Even your friends who do not know Jesus probably like the things that we read about in First Corinthians thirteen. But the fact of the matter is, is that evil is among us, and even when we do these things, even when we share the gospel, if we neglect the fact that evil is among us, we're missing out on the opposition. We're missing out on what's really going on. The world doesn't necessarily agree with the reasoning behind why we do the things that we do, right? It doesn't necessarily agree that the, the, the world is a dark place, the world is an evil place. Jesus personified all these things, right, to a perfection. He is patient, he is kind, he does all these things perfectly, and what do they do to him? They kill him. This is what he says in, in John 15 right here. Beginning in verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you believe in the world, it would love you as its own. That's what we're talking about this morning, this evil. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Do you hear these words? And I'm, I'm having such a great difficulty because if we look at the words here in 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul is talking about, why would the world hate us? If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Why do they hate you, Jesus? You're doing a lot of great things in this world. You're, you're loving people in a way that's never been done before. You're healing people. You're doing all these miraculous things, but the world still hates you. And Jesus says, yeah, that's fine. They're going to hate you too. It's because the world is dark. The world is evil. And the world has a problem with absolute truth. 
the world exhibits qualities of love, and that's where all this stuff gets really complicated because there are so many people in my life that I've known, friends, coworkers, that exhibit all these things we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, but yet they don't see Jesus as Lord. And honestly, some of them probably personify these things better than me. They're doing more. They're loving better. They're doing all these different things, but yet they do it for a different reason. I do these things because I think I'm glorifying Jesus. They do these things for the sake of being good in the eyes of the world. And I'm not trying to make it an us versus them situation this morning. I'm definitely not saying that. But what I am saying is that the world is recognizing goodness comes from a different place. Goodness, for the sake of being good, is good for them. But what I think Paul is getting us to recognize is that there is evil in this world that is going against absolute truth. And the reason why you should be patient and kind and all these other things is because there is an absolute truth that we are living towards. There's an absolute truth that we are striving to be kind of underneath the umbrella of the world is going to hate you. How are they going to hate me for these things that I'm doing? It's not necessarily why you're doing those things. what the world sees to be true. And it's so, so interesting because, like I said, there's so many people in the world that are doing a great job doing these good things, right? In the world, they want to lift up certain people, right? You can think of people throughout the history. They're like, this is the person who is perfect at being kind. This is the perfect person who is perfect at being patient. And the world lifts them up and says, yes, that person is awesome. But then what does the world also do to those people eventually? They tear them down, Right? I remember as a kid, Tom Brady was the golden boy, right? He's this, you know, broad-eyed, like, kind of chubby guy who gets in the league, doesn't really belong there. He doesn't look like everybody else. And he starts winning all the time. And everyone's like, this guy's awesome. And then they all hated him. It happens with, not just with athletes. It happens with any kind of celebrities. It happens to people in our own towns and in places where we lift these people up and say, this is what you're supposed to be and look like. But then eventually people look and they say, you know what, he's not so great. Because if he's great, I can't be great. Because I can never measure up to his greatness, so I'm going to try to poke holes in whatever virtue this person has that we're trying to lift them up for in the first place. Because the world does not see an absolute truth, they're trying to make themselves feel better by comparison, right? It's this comparison game. But the thing is, is that when you read 1 Corinthians 13, it has little to do with us. It has to do a lot with the agape love that we receive from Jesus. And when we measure up to Jesus, guess what? There's a lot of disparity, right? There's a huge gap between us and Jesus. So we are not able to tear down Jesus because he's not able to be torn down. That is the absolute truth that we are living towards. The world wants us to be good for the sake of being good. But guess what? The world is their own judge and jury as to what is good at that point, at that point in time in history. Right? This is the model of being good right now. And guess what? It's going to be different next week. You have to be accepting of this or you are a bigot or you are a whatever. Fill in the blank. You know what I'm talking about. And again, I don't want it to be an us versus them situation this morning. I'm not saying the world is, is just is damned beyond belief, beyond, beyond saving. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that there is a difference between being good for the sake of being good in loving the way that Jesus and the way that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. It's noticing the evil around us. It's noticing the darkness around us and not saying, I want to rise above that because I'm so good. It's saying, I want to rise above that because God is so good. 
I want to personify these things because absolute truth is real. Absolute truth is something that we are striving towards being more like. When we read these words here, guys, I know we've already said this before, but the word love over and over and over again is this agape love, right? This self-sacrificial, God-like love. We're never going to measure up to that. And some of us might be like, man, that's depressing. But that's okay. Because we're measuring up to absolute truth. And there's a whole lot of grace in between us and God. And Jesus personifies that grace. Jesus personifies that love. But we have to keep in mind the fact that the world wants us to love like they do. But we are called to a much higher calling. I find this interesting. Because the world wants to say us church people, we're the ones that are the problem. We're the ones that, because Jesus says this right here, right? You guys are going to be hated by the world. The world says we are the problem. And, and, they're, and they're saying, uh, I didn't have this in here, but John, John 16, 4. I didn't add that, but you probably know this. I'm just going to read it. I forgot to put that in my notes. Oh, excuse me. John 14, 6. Uh, beginning in verse 5, John 14, 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And the world wants to look at these words of Jesus and say, see, that's the problem right there. You're excluding so many people. You're excluding, if, if this is the only way, this, if this is an absolute truth, then what does that say about me? What does that say about my neighbor? Do you really think that I'm not allowed to be under this absolute truth if I don't believe in Jesus? This is a tough saying. These are the things that I wish were not in the Bible. I can say that, okay? There are verses that I wish that were not in the Bible. I wish desperately that I could say that, that it said Jesus said, hey, guess what? Everybody's good no matter what. Because a lot of my family members that don't know Jesus, I know they're going to be okay. A lot of my friends that I've made through my life, I know they're going to be okay, but that's not what it says. And that's frustrating to me. It's okay to be frustrated. It's frustrating to me that Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because the world doesn't like that. The world wants the wide gate to be open for everybody, but the the thing is that they're not seeing about Jesus is that as much as he says this, he also says this, come to me, a few of you, Right? That's what it says? No. You should be reading. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who doesn't want that? It's so interesting because Jesus is the most exclusive, inclusive inviter of all time. Right? It's exclusive by saying, I am the way to know the Father. But he's saying, guess what? Everybody can come on. It's not just for you. It's for everybody. But I'm welcoming you right now. Please, come. It's not exclusive in the way that says, you, you're not so good. You need to work on yourself a little bit and then come to me. He says, no, please come now. And that's what I always want to tell the teens. That's what I always want to tell adults that I talk to is that they say, I want to get my life together before I come to Jesus. No. Absolutely not. In fact, he'd prefer you to be in this weak state so that he can lift you up. And that's the love that we're talking about. That's the absolute truth in love that we're talking about, right? 
the world, again, I sound like a broken record, wants you to be good for the sake of being good. Jesus is saying, I want you to love because I showed you how to love. I showed you how to act. I'm holding you to a higher standard. We get back to this. Love does not delight in evil. The things of the world that are going around us, love does not delight in evil. The darkness that's going on around us, but rejoices in truth, the truth, the absolute truth of love of Jesus. And I get to this place and I say, okay, that sounds scary, right? Because we just read about John 15 where Jesus says the world is going to hate you. That's not the only time he says that, right? Life is going to be difficult for you. If you look at the disciples, the apostles, they died pretty gruesome deaths, right? And when you, t- when you take on baptism, you're literally saying, I'm aligning myself with the death that Jesus experienced. I, I am saying I'm willing to die for the sake of Christ. I'm dying to myself for the sake of you. All this stuff sounds very, very scary to me, the human side of me. But then I get to verse 7 here. This is still talking about love. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Sometimes this isn't the reality that you experience on earth, but the fact of the matter is this last part always perseveres, says there's something beyond your experience right now. Right? For the world, their troubles live day and day and they die with them, right? For us, our troubles are just a momentary experience for us to be persevering to something much greater than we could ever think or imagine. There's a perseverance, right? The, the ESV, this is a song we sing all the time, right? Love bears all things, believes and hopes and trusts all things, right? All these things are wrapped up in this idea of total and absolute truth carrying us to be who, we're ought to be who we ought to be. There's assurance in that. So my question this morning is, how does the truth of Jesus impact love? Like I said, it's a little bit hard for me to visualize this at times. It's easy to see how love is patient, love is kind. I can see that in my day-to-day lives. But how does the truth of Jesus impact my love for other people. Very simple this morning. Embrace absolute truth with love. Like I said, the world doesn't want this to be the case. The world wants to say, you got your way, I got my way. And and, in a sense, there's always going to be that duality. Jesus talked about it, right? There's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. A few are going to enter into that narrow gate. Again, a verse that I wish was not in the Bible. I wish, again, Jesus said, hey, everybody's good. But there is an absolute truth that we have to accept, and we cannot accept it without love. Right? Just like we talked about at the beginning of the series, all the good deeds that you do in your life are worthless if you do them without love. All this truth that we're talking about, all this Bible stuff that we're talking about from our Bible classes, we leave here and we have this this knowledge of the Word. If we embrace it, but we don't embrace it with love, then we just have this kind of knowledge and not this kind of knowledge, right? Embrace absolute truth with love. And this is where it gets difficult. Share absolute truth with love. This, is, this part right here is much easier. It's easier for me to say, okay, I get it, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for you. I believe it. Thank you. Awesome. This becomes more difficult. And maybe it's not for you. But it is for me at times, especially when I'm talking not just to my friends, but to certain family members. They know that I'm a minister. <laughs> They don't go to church. They don't believe in Jesus. And sometimes our conversations get a little awkward. And my, you know, insecurity wants to kind of just like 
fall away from that and say, oh, it's fine, you know, you, you do what you need to do and stuff like that. But sharing absolute truth is what we're called to do, right? Sharing this absolute truth, this, this John 14, 6, that he is the way, is the absolute truth that we're, we're, we're sharing. But not in a way that's saying, hey, you ought to think the way that I think. It's like, no, you ought to love the way that Jesus loves. Because his love is way better than anything I could ever do. It's way better than anything you could ever do. But sharing this absolute truth is what we're called to do. The Great Commission, right? To go forth and baptize and teach people of all nations. Not just the Bible stories, not just the VBS, not just the simple things that we can grasp, but that Jesus is the way. Jesus' love is the ultimate way and absolute truth this world needs to hear. So embracing it for yourself and sharing it for others is what we're called to do. But we cannot do those things with just the words that we read here. We can't just give them note cards and things to say for them to repeat to you so that they can say it verbally and understand it up here. We have to do it with these words, but with love. This whole series is about love, but it's also embracing the two, connecting the dots there is what's going to change lives and change your life as well. Let's pray. in your word uh, to look at what love looks like and to delight in the truth, the absolute truth of Jesus. God, I struggle with this. I struggle with being bold at times. And I know that's weird. That might be weird coming from the preacher, but I want the people to know that everybody struggles at times with boldness and everybody struggles at times with just this absolute truth because the world is so twisted and it's, it's so easy just to fall into the way of the world. God, I pray for boldness for myself. I pray for boldness for everybody in here that we can share this absolute truth with the world in a loving way that reflects the love that we're talking about in this series. God, please help us. Give us words to say. And God, I'm praying a prayer that give us the opportunity. Make it painfully obvious the people we need to talk to about these things. So Jesus, let me pray. Amen. Uh, we do want to offer an invitation now. If, if you're struggling with something, if you're saying, you know what? I get this absolute truth, but I don't really, I don't really get it. Wherever you are in your journey, it, it's a journey for a reason. It, it doesn't happen overnight. And I want to invite you to come forward if you have any needs at all, physical needs, spiritual needs. If you're saying, you know what, I want to embrace absolute truth by getting into those waters. We've been having baptisms like crazy in here. It's a celebration. And every time we see one of those things, there is a personification of absolute truth coming into the world in a real way. I love seeing it. I love being a part of it. If you're saying, I want to be baptized too, we can make that happen. It doesn't have to be right now. If you want to start that conversation, it can start right now. But I just want you to talk to somebody today. I want you to stand and sing.